Anybody got their Bibles? If you could hold them up, let me see them, shake them a little bit. Hey, hey, I might be in the right place. We're going to make the bookstores glad and the devil mad. Let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. <laughs> okay, a little better. Repeat after me. This Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector, a sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. Now, if you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap. So I, okay, I might be in the right place today. Amen. The title of this message is Christian Come Out of the Closet. It was inspired way back by 10, 15 years ago when I went to a street minister's conference. And you want to go to a good conference, go to a street minister's conference. People that carry the cross all over the world, just people hungry for souls. But a man by the name of Scott Hinkle wrote a book that had a lot to do with this. And some of the youth heard some of this uh, down in Florida, kind of prompted them to uh, get themselves stirred up a little bit. But America is in a time of darkness and uncertainty right now. Economic uncertainty, political unrest, uh, wars, all sorts of things going on. And Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24, 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your anointing would be here to break every yoke. Your anointing would be here to help me to communicate to every age level, every uh, place that a person might be on their journey with you, whether they've uh, seasoned and, and know you real well, whether they don't even know you at all. Today, I pray you'll speak to them through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's a lot now like it was back in the late seven, 60s, early 70s. Uh, you know, the wars, youth were disillusioned with society. They were checking out of the mainstream. Uh, you know, we had the hippie movement. Do we have any old hippies here? Any young hippies here? Any hippie? Is there one hippie in the house? Okay, we got one. But they had long hair, listened to acid rock music, experimented drugs, immorality, but yet they were one of the most influential generations. They affected politics, style of dress, music, and culture for years to come. God saw a generation that He refused to give up on, saw their potential, and through that came a thing called the Jesus Movement. Let's watch a little bit from a video of some hippies back uh, an old classic... Uh, Christian rocker Larry Norman.
I may believe it's time for another Jesus movement. A revolution. Amen. You know, heaven's response to America's darkness was the Jesus movement. This church was birthed out of that movement. Right in Texarkana, young, a, a couple of them that I know, does anybody remember, anybody remember Buster Kennedy? Uh, that was the person that founded this church, that helped found it. The pastor of it for several years, and in Dallas right now. A man by the name of Philip Ward, a good friend of mine. Uh, but these guys were doing drugs and getting in fights and cruising state line and doing all this stuff. And God got a hold of him. And then it started just to multiply, but the older generation didn't know what to do with them. I mean, the dress code back then, at least the Arkansas side hippie, Philip Ward, long hair, overalls, no shirt, no shoes. That was kind of the Arkansas hillbilly hippie. And... Uh, but there was one pastor, an older pastor, Assembly of God pastor, that took them under their wing, allowed them to use their church, and the power of God was falling, setting them free from drugs. They were falling out in the power. Nobody catch them. I mean, God was just doing a mighty work. And they were so moved and so hungry for the things of God that they, uh, several of them went to Canada to Bible school and spent time up there just studying the Word and learning. And then they ended up in California under a ministry by the name of Emmanuel Kenneth Tracy. He's been in this church. He's Linnell's father. He took him under their wing, discipled them, helped him come back here, start a church on 7th Street called New Life. And he would come back and preach and prophesy and prophesy for them to buy this land right here. Just a bunch, uh, not a bunch of people with a bunch of money. I mean, and look what the Lord did to position us like this. Out of that movement. I believe there's another great move of God coming. And it's going to be primarily through young people, ushered in through young people. And it's going to be a signs and wonders movement. I'm talking about people being healed and miracles and those kind of things. But as an older generation, how are we going to cover them? How are we going to help them? How are we going to accept them just the way they are and let the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, change them? Not us try to say, you know, this or that. So it's going to be a real challenge, but I believe there's going to be some exciting things coming. But we are in a place right now where there's a real darkness. And maybe it's like it was back in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds in the mountains. They basically hiding in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up and destroy. Today the church is in an overwhelming time of oppression from the enemy. Now, have we counterattacked or have we retreated? Have we fought back or have we hid in religious caves? Because the voice of God is calling us out of the cave, out of the church pew, because in an hour of darkness there needs to be light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the light. In a day of despair and hopelessness, there needs to be hope. Paul wrote, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You might be the hope, the only hope anybody senses. You might be the only Bible somebody reads. Where death prevails, there's an absence of life. Yet the Word says, he who has the Son has the life. If we have Christ, we need to be carriers of His light, of His hope, and of His life. You know, if the gay community can get bold and stand up and push it in your face and come out of the closet, isn't it about time the church comes out of the closet? Amen? Who's the church? We are. we are. Amen. 
Romans 8, creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The earth is moaning. That's, I mean, I don't wonder, physically, the earthquakes. Uh, come on, sons of God, rise up. Let's go. Joel 2.16, let the bridegroom come forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's coming back. Church needs to come out of the closet. Let's talk about evangelism, soul winning, and sharing your faith. First of all, I really believe there's a storm coming, and I don't know what all that means, but I heard that word clearly a year ago. But one thing about a storm, really a storm is just too much of a good thing. Too much rain, you got a flood. Too much wind, you got a tornado. But what if there's such a wave of souls coming into the kingdom? Are we going to be ready for it? I mean, are, are we going to be ready to disciple, to get in our place, to help, to do all those things? Is this building ready for it? We've got to make ready. You know, it's amazing how hard it is to get people to commit to things like prayer, tithing, uh, faithfulness, holiness, but it's even more difficult to get people committed to something called soul winning. Only one out of three Christians shared their faith last year. Only one out of four Christians even believe it's their responsibility to. And 95% of Christians have never led anybody to Christ. Adrian Rogers says there's two types of Christians, soul winners and backsliders. Mm, I'm letting it hit me too. R.A. Torrey, the great man of prayer, said, I would like to ask what right does a man have to call himself a follower of Jesus Christ if he's not a soul winner? It's time for the church to come out of the closet. Three-phase cycle to go through to get out of the closet, to, to, to step out. Phase one is motivation. Say motivation. Something's got to be stirred up on the inside to motivate you to step out and share the good news. Some people feel like, I don't feel led to witness. It's not my ministry. I don't feel called. Well, God's given us three things to motivate us. The first thing He's given us is His Word. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, people write books on the last things people say, like in their deathbed, great people, though, what, what's, what's the last thing you're going to say? Well, this is one of the last things Jesus said. The end of the chapter. Go ye into all the world. Go ye. Who's ye? Me. Go me into all the world. Into your world. The Bible says it. We ought to do it. You know, there's a group of church, church leaders that are asking God for a deeper revelation on evangelism. So the evangelist said, well, I'll pray and get a word. And he says, I got a word from God. The word is go. I said, oh, but brother, we're into deeper revelations. We want deeper realms of the things of God. He said, okay. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Now, how much deeper can it get? And really, that's, what this, that's why we're still here. Because God wishes that none should perish. He wants this preached to every corner, every nation, every person. And who's he going to use? I mean, he turned this whole thing over to 12 guys who their lives were changed. They kept pouring it out, pouring it out. And now it's up to us. There's people you come in contact with, I never will. I'll never be able to share the gospel with. But you can. You say, oh, I don't know if I can. It's real simple, okay? If you'll just do like the blind man did that Jesus healed. He gets healed. The religious leaders get him over there because uh, they hate Jesus. So they're trying, who healed you? How did this happen? Why on a Sunday? And they're drilling him with questions. And he finally just stops and says, you know what? All I can say is, once I was blind, but now I see. 
All you have to say, you know what? All I know is once I was on drugs, and now I'm walking in freedom. Once I had no peace in my life, now I have peace. Once I was in darkness, I mean, is it that hard to do? If you've had a change in your life. But have you had a change in your life? Because if there's not a change, can you really call yourself a Christian? Because there ought to be a change. Now, I'm not talking about those of you that grew up in church and you haven't got off into that junk. And that's one of the most powerful testimonies there is, when the keeping power of God. But those of you that have been in the darkness, you know. And there needs to be a change if you've really allowed Him to come in. He's given us His Word. It's called the Great Commission, not the Great Omission. Great soul winner, Arthur Blessed. This is a man that has carried the cross literally around the globe through wars as they were fighting, carried the cross. He makes this statement. I have, to, I have to feel led not to witness. Friends, we ought to get our guidance from the book. The Word of God is a motivating force. The second motivating force is need. Jesus says in Matthew 19 that He came back to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus left heaven to come to earth because of our need for a Savior. Human need can be a powerful force to move us. And it's amazing how we can live a Christian life and try to avoid lost people. Jesus was acquainted with sickness and grief, according to Isaiah 53. Not because he was sick or sorrowful, but because he spent time ministering to hurting people, going on their turf and ministering to them. But we avoid the loss like we're going to get some sort of sinner's disease. Don't breathe on me. I'm saying sanctified, filled the Holy Ghost. I'm in the middle of worship. Don't bother me. Don't get too close. Tommy Barnett's the pastor of a great church in Phoenix First Assembly in Arizona. He oversees 245 outreaches out of their church. That's how many outreaches they have. And one of those outreach, his son is head over, which is called the Dream Center, which is in California. A huge facility reaching the prostitutes, the homeless, doing servant evangelism. Uh, just amazing what they're doing. And out of that ministry, 200 other Dream Centers have sparked up over the nation. And I'm telling you, I've been hearing that word for Texarkana. There's a place, a building, a something, a people, to, that we can get a Dream Center going. I hadn't said that the other services, but Sister Dorothy just stirs me when I see her sitting there. Amen. But you know what his motto was in his church? Find a need and meet it. That's what he tells his people. Just find a need and meet it. The pastor I was under in San Antonio, if somebody come up, oh, brother, we need a bus ministry, man. We, just, I, I, we need to be, start bringing people. And he said, okay, you're the head of the bus ministry. Get it going. I mean, if something's stirring in you, God probably wants you to do something in that area. And we can all do something. Correct? I mean, there's somebody just joined our church, just started going through the Connect class, and they said, you know, we just, they started collecting clothes, and now they have clothes and some food just to put in their garage. They just want to help reach out to people, and neither one have a job right now. But they just want to, they just want to help people because they've been in that place. And they're going to give their way out of this situation, and I believe they're going to get a job, and God's going to use them in a powerful way. But just find a need and meet it. You know, sometimes those things that just make you mad, could be some sort of a passion God's put in you. You know, like when you see a children being abused or something, it just makes you angry. Sometimes that holy anger can be a direction God's pushing you in and wanting you to do something. Third motivating force. What was the first one? The Word. The second one? Need. And the third one is compassion. 
Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, scattered, like sheep without a shepherd. We need to allow our hearts to be moved with compassion. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love motivated the father to send his son. Love should motivate us into action. You don't have to go to Africa, but at least go to your neighbor. Love is a motivating force that should produce joy. When you're in love, I mean, when you're a teenager in love, sometimes you can't, maybe you're an old person in love. But... Sometimes you can't sleep, you can't eat, you're just thinking about them, you're writing their name on everything. Oh, you're just so in love. You know, when I'm on an airplane, even to strangers, I have no problem talking about my family, my wife, my children. Why? Because I love them. If we love Jesus, it ought to be easy to talk about Him, right? I mean, He's my best friend. Love makes you sensitive to other people's needs. Love is not selfish. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him. We will come and make our home with him. You know, if you have a hard time witnessing, maybe you've lost the joy of your salvation, that first love. Maybe you've lost that joy. But you can do like David. Even in David's worst time, when he messed up big time, adultery killed somebody in Psalm 50 when he cries out, and he prays this prayer. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted unto you. You want to see sinners converted, just get that joy back. They'll sense it. They'll begin to ask questions. And whenever, I, this is my apology. If somebody asks me a question, i got to get my spiritual ears on, because this could be my opportunity to say something, invite them to church, to witness to them. When that question goes out, it's a clue to me. My, um, one of my sisters got saved first, then me, and then my youngest sister, we were, I, when I got saved, I was just bold. I was just hammering my younger sister. Man, you need to get saved, blah, blah, blah. Kind of really preaching to her maybe too much. And she would always tell my mom, man, he just, he's always preaching every time he talks to me, every time he calls, blah, blah, blah. So I made it a point that the next few phone calls, I would not say anything about Jesus. Say, you know, how's the weather? How are you doing? And she would still tell my mom, oh, he's still preaching to me. I mean, what was I preaching about? How good the weather was? But you know what? Some of you, when you get around that unsafe family member person, they start getting irritated. It seems like with you. But it's the light that's driving their darkness crazy. It's just that light that's irritating. But the more irritated you get, just start smiling. They're that step, one step closer to coming to know Him. Amen? We were like that, right? Just remember what it was. What it was like. Phase two, mobilization. Say mobilization. Mobilization means to become organized and ready as for war. This is a war. Are we preparing ourselves? It says in Isaiah, the enemy's preparing. As a matter of fact, he says he's enlarging hell. Think about that. He's making room. Now, he has faith. He's one of the greatest evangelists there is right now. It's time for the church to rise up and begin to make room and make plans. Missionary C.T. Studd says this, Some folks want to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but I would rather run a rescue shop right outside the gates of hell. 
I mean, that's the way to live life. Great 70s Christian song was written with those lyrics in it. God is preparing us and training us to raise up an army. He's training us in four basic ways. First, He's training us about kingdom living. We need to operate in the realm of the kingdom and begin to understand what it is. Because when you operate in the realm of the kingdom, you're going to have victory over the world, over yourself, and over sin. When you realize what was done at that cross, how much He loved you, His love will motivate you to live above that junk and walk in freedom. We're ambassadors of the King. We're His ambassadors. And that means He gives us power and authority. He gives us power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall harm us. He gives us power to be a witness. I mean, He'll stand behind, all heaven's standing behind us. And when you share your faith with somebody, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing it. You don't have to worry what you're going to say in that hour. Just let God's love come. Once I was blind, but now I see. I, my life has changed. Kingdom living. Second thing he's teaching us is to serve one another. Leadership is about servanthood. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, be a servant. It's about serving. And that's sometimes that's the thing that'll open somebody's eye. When you keep doing something for them, they say, why are you doing this for me? You know, why do you keep doing What's the love of God? God's blessed me. He's changed my life. Third, we need to be trained in the area of spiritual warfare. We're in a battle, right? And prayer is the battle. That's where you win this thing. Because we are fighting a, an enemy we can't see. You can't fight him with, with guns and knives. You've got to fight him with this sword. That's why. Do you just speak this out any day? I, I start my day and I speak some scripture out. Put on the armor. Get ready for the battle. But prayer is the battle. We need to pray for the lost, that the blinders will come off their eyes. Because the Bible says the God of this world has them blinded. They can't even see. One of my uh, uh, great friends, Brad Tuttle, was on the power team, an Navy SEAL, big, huge guy, had, uh, I mean, powerlifting records, all sorts of stuff. But he was a crazy man. But he made a mistake of starting to date a preacher's daughter. And even got married before he was saved. But he was, he just walked into a bar, unsaved, walked into a bar, and it was like, he said, it was like something came off my eyes. All of a sudden, I saw my life for what it was. I saw the sin in my life. I'm telling you, the blinders can come off through prayer. They really can. We need to pray the blinders come. Pray people cross their path to witness to them. Pray the Holy Spirit to convict them. That God's love, you know, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Pray God's goodness will overwhelm them. Fourth, we need to be trained to preach the gospel to the lost. You just need to learn to share. It's not just for the pastors and preachers and evangelists. As a matter of fact, it's not really my job. My job, according to the Word of God, Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints. Now, you're either a saint or an eight, so which are you? If you're a saint, it's my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And we all have a part. We're all in this army. My nephew is just, he signed up with the Marines, and this weekend, he just went off to camp. That means he is off the grid for a while. No Facebook, no nothing till June. But he's enlisted, and I don't know where they're going to sign him. He could be in the front lines. He could be on a mountain with a, with a sniper gun. He could be making stuff, training people. There's all different positions that you are in to be able to win a war. 
That's why you got to find out what's your position. It might not be on the front lines, but everybody has a role, and everybody is responsible to share the good news. Everybody. Go me into the world. Amen? Really understand this. God is not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God does not want anybody to go to hell. But you cannot reason in your mind. I saw in the paper this week, a pastor was relieved of his job because he stopped believing there was a hell. Now, in our minds, that would seem like we have a God of love. That would be a nice thing to try to reason out. But according to this word, there is a place. And the message from hell is, it's a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the worms will eat you up and never die. It's a place where your skin will literally melt off your body, constant torment. And the people from hell right now can see the people in heaven and can't get there and say, could you just take a little water on your finger and just touch my tongue? It's a real place. But the message from heaven is, there's peace here. There's joy here. There's no more tears. And it's, it's a real place. And when somebody goes to hell, it's for keeps. And death is real. Most of you have experienced this. And it's hard to even communicate right now, knowing Sister Dorothy's sitting here having lost her son. That's what she told me. That's what she told me as we went and she stood over her son's lifeless body while his wife was there. And thank God we have the peace that he had had an encounter with God. But you know what? Even in the midst of that, he was not doing what he was called to do. And because of that, there's children now that don't have a dad. Yeah, he could be in heaven. And we feel very confident he is because of some things that happened. Uh, but was that God's best? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's time we all get in position and get on course because the time is short and we need to make the best of this. And so phase three is activation. God gave us His Word so we could act upon it. There are those who love to learn but never act on it. Teaching on evangelism is not enough. You just got to do it. And it's time for the church to become militant. It's time for the church to come out of the closet. Christianity is not just made of what we believe but what we do with what we believe. We need to activate our light in the middle of the darkness. I mean, let that light shine. The darker it gets, let it shine. And I'm proud of these young people that are letting their light shine in these schools. It's going to be shining again Tuesday night, isn't it? Another TNT at Texas High, and they're spreading out. I mean, let that... And it, it, it's amazing. You can have this big plan going into school, but sometimes a few testimonies, they let their light shine, and kids begin to weep, and the power of God shows up, and lives are changed. Okay, here's one, four, one of four attitudes as I'm closing that you can respond to what I'm talking about, how you can respond to this Word of God. The number one attitude is it can be an attitude of being the aggressor, being on the offense. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense. You just keep scoring points, they'll never catch up with you. But I'm talking about taking the battle to the enemy, going after souls. As it says in Jude, literally reaching, them at, reaching down and snatching them out of the fire. You might be the only person standing between them and hell fire. So you be the aggressor, be on the offense. Attitude number two is defensive, just being on the defense. 
just trying to keep the devil off your back. That's why you're all worn out. You're spending all your time trying to keep the enemy off of you. It's like you get up and you're off running. Oh, I've got to outrun the devil today. Keep him off my back. And you're just, you, you spend the day just tired. What if you turn that around? And when you got up, the enemy goes, uh-oh, she's up now. He's up now. I need to take off running. I mean, why not? Isn't the greater one living in you than he that's in the world? And a third attitude is the attitude of detente. That's where two countries try to say, hey, let's just leave each other alone. Try to do that with somebody like Iran. That is, okay, we won't build any weapons, and you don't. They'll sign papers. Uh, they do whatever you want. And they'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would stop, and what would they do? Continue to build, build, build until we saw her weak. Boom, they'd hit us. It never worked politically. It'll never work spiritually. You cannot say, devil, I won't bug you if you won't bug me. He won't bug you for a while, and he'll wait, and then, bam, he'll come in and take everything. Attitude four is desertion. Too many Christians have gone A-W-O-L. They just checked out. And it's time to get back on board. The Bible says, you are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Here's three ways you can affect your world. And this, is, this will be it before we watch just a, sh a little video. Intercession, giving, and sharing. Intercession, that's prayer. That's where you're standing in the gap. And it's, it's literally sometimes like you're, you're standing right between them and hell and say, devil, no. And especially when they're a family member. It's like, devil, me and my household will be saved. Boom. You cannot come past this bloodline. It's praying for them. Prayer changes things through people. Giving. It's like you holding the rope while somebody else climbs down in the pit to get them. I mean, giving to the church, giving to missions and missionaries. Sharing. God's looking for somebody to share the what kind of news? The good news. Isaiah 6, 8, last scripture. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Don't hide from the darkness. You have what the world is looking for. You really do. Let's watch this video. It's uh, a video of a dream and a vision by William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army. I think it'll speak to you. I had a vision. I saw a dark and stormy ocean. In that ocean, I thought I saw multitudes of poor human beings plunging and floating and shouting and shrieking, cursing and struggling and drowning. And out of this dark, angry ocean, I saw a mighty rock that rose up with its summit towering high above the stormy seas. And all around the base of the rock, I saw a vast platform and on this platform I saw with delight a number of the poor wretches continually climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that some of those who were already safe on the platform were fervently helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach safety. But something puzzled me. 
Although they had all been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten all about it. Anyway, the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them. And what was equally strange and perplexing to me was that most of these people did not seem to have any care, that is, any agonizing care, about the poor perishing ones who were struggling and drowning right before their eyes. But then I saw something wonderful. I saw a great being from above come straight from his palace, right through the dark clouds, and he leapt right into the raging sea among the drowning people. And there I saw him toiling to rescue them until the sweat of his great anguish ran down in blood. And he was continually crying to those already rescued, to those whom he had helped with his own bleeding hands, to come and help him in the painful and laborious task of saving the lost. But the strangest thing of all was that those on the platform to whom he called were so taken up with their trades and professions and money-saving and pleasures and families and community and gatherings and religions and arguments about it that they did not respond to the cry that came to them from this wonderful being who had himself by his spirit gone down into the sea. And so the multitude went on struggling and shrieking and drowning in the darkness. And then I saw something that seemed stranger than anything that had happened before in this very strange vision. Those whom this wonderful being cried out to to come and help him in his difficult task were always praying and crying to him to come to them. Some wanted him to come and stay with them and spend his time and strength in making them happier. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings they had concerning the truth of some letters which he had written them. Others wanted him to come and make them feel more secure on the rock, so secure that they would be totally sure they would never slip off again. They used to meet and get as close to the rock as they could, and looking towards the mainland where they thought the great being was, they would cry out, Come to us, come and help us. But all this time, he was down among the poor drowning creatures, crying to them in a hoarse voice, Come to me, come and help me. And then I understood it all. It was plain enough. That sea was the ocean of life, the sea of real, actual human existence. Those multitudes of people struggling in the stormy sea were the billions of sinners from every race, language, and nation. That great sheltering rock was Calvary, the place of the cross. And the people on it were those who had been rescued from sin and hell and who professed to be followers of Jesus Christ. That mighty being who called to them from the tempest was the Son of God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is still struggling to save the dying multitudes about us from this terrible doom of damnation, and whose voice can be heard above the music and machinery and noise of life, calling on the rescued to come and help him save the world. My friends in Christ, you are rescued from the waters. You are on the rock. Jesus is in the dark sea, calling on you to come and help him. Will you go?
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Our ushers are going to hand out some church invites. I mean, it's just a simple way to spread the gospel, the plan of salvation's on there. I mean, there's empty seats in here every service. I mean, just hand those out. Let's get aggressive with it. Let's come out of the closet and get bold. So just take those as they pass them out. And in the next week or so, we're going to have special Easter invites. I mean, we put a lot of energy and time toward that weekend because we know that's one of those times where people are a little more sensitive. They're thinking, oh, it's Easter, and they start, they, they start feeling that something's stirring up inside of them. And so it's a great time to invite. So we'll have special invitations for you to hand out. Also on these walls, we'll have uh, big banners that you can write names of people on. You know, family members, friends, people that you know need to be saved. And write them on there in the next few weeks, and, and we'll be praying over those and, and really believe uh, that lives are changed. Amen? Now, I want to ask one question we always ask before we go. And that's one thing you can always do. Just get them to church. If you can't explain the gospel very well, then just say, hey, come with me. And that, two things. First, they'll experience just the presence of God through worship, and then they'll hear the gospel. And so now I'm going to ask you this question. Are you 100% sure if you die, you'd go to heaven? If you die, you're going to go to heaven, or are you going to go to hell? Somebody asked me that 20-some years ago. Even though I'd been 30 years in church, nobody asked me that question, and I didn't have the answer until they explained some things to me. And I want to explain this in a way that if you're a Christian, I want you to remember these three points so you can use them to explain to somebody else. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to hear so you can understand how you can go to heaven. I used to have these, I had a Bible where I put tabs in it. And I'd open one tab, and you could let somebody read it, and it was Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, Romans 3.23. Say Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen. I'd shut it, and then I'd ask them a question. If you were to tell a million lies, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? And I hold the answer up for them. Then I said, if you were to commit a million sins, how many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? One. Has anybody sinned? Yes. So remember that little illustration, Romans 3.23 and how many lies. And the other thing is, then you go to Romans 6.23. Easy transition, 3.23, now 6.23. And it said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That word wage, that ought to trigger something in you. It's going to trigger Taco Bell. Okay? Because if you worked at Taco Bell for a week, they'd have to pay you a what? A wage. If they didn't, you could take them to court. Well, if you sin, God has to pay you a wage. It's in His Word. It's separation from Him and His love to a place called hell. He didn't make hell for people. It was for the devil and his demon followers. That's why He made a way so we could go to heaven. But don't let your pride keep you from that cross. You have to bow your knee, and sometime you will bow your knee. But I would do it on this side of, the, of heaven, this side of life, where you make a choice. And so, the wages of sin is death. God has to pay, but the gift of God is eternal life. He's paid the price. Now, the next scripture is John 1.12. Say John 1.12. And you think of a light switch. Like back there, what's more important for these lights to come on? That we pay the power bill or that somebody flips the switch? It's a little both, isn't it? 
If the power's not paid, then they're not coming on. But if you don't flip the switch, they're not coming on. Well, let me tell you, the power bill has been paid. The wage has been paid through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. And what do you have to do? Flip the switch. For as many as received him, to them he gives the power to become children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. They're all his creation, but to become a child of God, you have to receive him. In, and what I did is I said a prayer to invite him into my life because he won't invite your way in. He won't force his way in. You need to invite him. So if you're in this room right now, you should be able to explain the gospel to somebody. And if you want to know it again, I'll write it down for you. But even on our little invites, it's a little three steps. It's as easy as ABC. Admit you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess him as Lord. So it's not that hard. But you could be in this room and you're just realizing, man, I really don't know if I'd go to heaven. Or if they took me to court for being a Christian, they wouldn't have enough evidence to even prosecute me. They'd have to let me go. And so if you want to ask Christ into your life for the first time, if you want to get back on track and make Him Lord of your life, not just Savior, not just the, the spare tire, not just the fire insurance, but Lord, because He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. He wants everything. It's not like Burger King where you can get it your way. He wants it all. Just give it to Him. And you can trust Him. You can. How many have trusted Him? Look around. Okay, now, on the count of three, if you need to ask Christ in your life, if you want to make Him Lord of your life and get back on track, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so we can say prayer with you. On the count of three. One, two, three. See your hands? See your hands? Anybody else? Give them a hand clap. Amen. Anybody else? I paused just a second that first service and somebody older than me. And the older you get, the harder it is. But I break the spirit of pride and fear in Jesus' name. Devil, you can't have them. I claim them for the kingdom of God. Anybody else, one or two others, you just need, you know you need to make a decision publicly. This is, see, you don't believe that lie. It's a private thing. Well, first of all, when you say my religion, that gives me a clue. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Religion is spelled D-O, do. A relationship spell is, is spelled D-O-N-E. It was done at the cross. And you have to receive it. And it wasn't a private thing. They stripped Jesus totally naked, nailed him to a cross in front of the whole world. How private is that? But he loved you so much he was willing to do that. Do you love him enough to confess him before men? Last chance today in this service. And today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. If you want to join those others with that prayer, hold your hand up real quick and we're going to pray with you. Anybody else? Amen. God bless you, man. I know some of you have before, but if there's a doubt, man, just keep coming to the Lord. Another one? Amen. Let's all say this prayer together. Okay? And those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to come up for a minute because uh, one of our staff up here, I believe Pastor Joe will be here, and he's got a gift for you, a book to tell you how to walk this walk and to be able to stay strong with God. But let's all say this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. For paying that wage. And I thank you. I ask you to come into my life. Change my life. Help me to be the kind of person that you want me to be. The kind of person I really want to be. I'm going to need your power and help. So fill me with your spirit. Give me that power to be a witness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. We're going to close by having our altar team come up here. 
They're going to line up. Pastor Nick's going to sing a little bit. Everyone that raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand but said that prayer, and as you said that prayer, faith began to rise and you realized, you know, I, I need to make a public confession. I need to go agree with somebody to get my life on track and in order and get some of that material they got. Then you come up too. We're also going to have the altars open to pray. for If you're under some sort of a spiritual oppression, frustration, we'll pray with you. If you're sick in your body, we'll pray that God will heal you. Whatever it is, we want to pray with you before you go. So let's stand to our feet. Altar team, come forward. Thank you, Jesus. I bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. And the first thing I want to do, if you raised your hand, would you give the honor of just praying with you right now? Would you come up if you raised your hand? Let's give them a big round of applause. If you raised your hand to make a commitment to Christ, please come forward and come right over here by this cross. Pastor Joe's right here. Just come meet right over here by the cross. Amen. Come on, give him a hand clap. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Just wait 30 more seconds. See if there's anything else that needs to be said or done before we go. Thank you, Jesus. Just close your eyes a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Just, all right, let's pray for peace. Lord, I know this thing that could be a, a it just we could leave with a heavy burden, and maybe that's good. But Lord, I just pray your presence will go with us. We'll realize that. Lord, we'll see different. Open our eyes and we'll see the harvest. Amen. You know, Whitney's just saying, you know, if, if you need to just tell heaven I'm stepping out of the closet, before you leave, I mean, at least just leave by way of coming by the altar. Even if you just walk this way, like I'm coming, I'm stepping out. And just make that as a, a symbol and, a, and just a declaration. If you want somebody to pray with you, they will. Or if you just want to come up and, and, and just you know, stop a moment, whatever it is. But basically, this is you and the Lord. Okay? You don't need to respond to me or the church. But just, you know, you respond to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we just bless you. Lord, I thank you for your presence. Bless us. Lord, let this church be a light on a hill. Let our light shine this week, Lord. And, Lord, I'm praying for divine opportunity for every one of us in this room, including me, especially when there's a question asked. Lord, if there's something, when they ask a question, we'll think, okay, this could be a divine appointment. And, Lord, give us the words in that hour in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead, Pastor Nick, sing. If you'll just hold for just a second as people come forward, and then I'll just release you in a moment. make a step to the Lord, do that on your way out, but otherwise, God bless you, look at your neighbor, hold up your finger, set this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, amen, God bless you, altars are open.